Today I chat with Elaine Kane from Strategic Insights. She's an innovation consultant, trainer, facilitator and speaker with 20 years of experience helping companies navigate innovation challenges. She guides Fortune 500, small businesses and not-profits to understand innovation, create innovative new products, services, build effective teams and support a user-centred culture. We covered a few topics today, including human-centred design, creativity within teams and her love of the business model canvas. So enjoy. I'm Judy Selmans and welcome to Thrivable Biz, where we talk all things to help your business thrive. Elaine, welcome to the Engage to Innovate stage. Thank you, Judy. I'm really excited to be in conversation with you today. Yeah, no, that that's really cool. Actually, I've been going through your website and of course there's well, actually lots of things we can talk about, but I wanted to start with design thinking and maybe the balancing act that innovators have to play with that. So design thinking is really uh, one of the core elements that I have in my practice. And uh, there's a lot of definition and you can make it complicated, but I'm going to try to make it simple for your audience and what the core of it, that's okay with you. Yeah. So I did my master at Buffalo State studying creativity and it was a long distance program. I was in the, in the East Coast for that. And then I'm here living in the Bay Area and I'm like, what is happening in creativity in the Bay Area? And at the time, the D school at Stanford was just starting uh, and uh, they were, you know, studying and, and teaching um, design thinking. So I went and uh, met with a director uh, and I'm like, what is design thinking? It was pretty new at the time at mm-hmm. least becoming mainstream. And he had this simple principle. And I think I always go back to it when people ask me, what is design thinking? The first principle is user-centered. So whatever you do, you have to think about the people that are going to be affected by the change you're creating and yep. we'll be aware of it throughout the process. And it can be the end users, but it can also be uh, any anybody else that be affected by the change. Could be internal employees, could be uh, suppliers, uh, you know, partners, things like that. So when you innovate and create change, just be aware and be sure that the users are part of the process and part of it. The second principle is prototype-driven. And it's really important because you can only talk so much. You can have many ideas, but the reality hits. And so by creating prototype, by creating prototype early, uh, fast and simply, you can really try to see how your idea look like in reality. Mm -hmm. You can get feedback. You uh, stop fighting on words because (laughs) if you write a nice concept, people have really different understanding of a concept. But if you put a, flow chart or a drawing or a 3D prototype or a sketch of what your service or experience would look like, then you have something very concrete. And then you can really start discussing the power of this idea. You can start testing and people can give you feedback. So that part is really important. And the third principle is iterative process. Uh, Unfortunately, in innovation, uh, nothing is nice and linear and you go from A to Z And at the end, you have a successful product or services. That doesn't happen. And so acknowledging that is iterative, that as you go along, you will learn something. And by learning, you might decide, 
hey, I have this idea, but really when I test it, it's not working. Maybe I'm working on the wrong problem. I have to go yeah. back to the drawing board. Or you have the right ideas, but the way that you're thinking about implementing it is not going to work. So really thinking as a circular rather than a linear funnel, I think is really powerful. So that's, for me, the core of design thinking. And that makes total sense too. Obviously, the first part then of design thinking of interacting with the end user, be they customer or, or part of the team, et cetera, do you have a technique for engaging them in that process? So there's a lot of tools and technique. I think the core of it, when you need to start, is ethnographic research. Yeah. And, you know, applying it in a, in a business setting and uh, people are always scared of the world and research and they don't have time to do it and they don't have the money. Yeah. And I try to really encourage people to say, let's make it simple. You know, talk to three of you clients for an hour with open-ended question and a lot of listening. Yeah. Go to the office and observe them for an hour or two and ask questions. I mean, that's simple. Yeah. And you're going to learn so much and if you have a team of five or six people working on some project, if each of them do two or three interviews or observation, you're going to get a lot of data really quick and really cheap that can really help be sure that you understand the problem, that your idea would make sense, that, you know, how you make this experience better for your users. Just in our personal experience, so many people think that their customers are busy and they don't want to help me, you know, that's my problem to solve the problem. But I th think that most people, certainly in our experience, are, are surprised that, that their customers actually do want to help them. It, do you find, I assume you find the same sort of thing? Oh, yeah. I learned that uh, firsthand uh, many years ago. I was uh, doing uh, interviews for uh, supermarket buyers, and it was mm -hmm. in France. There's a lot of big supermarket chains. So those people have a lot of power. If they're the wine buyer for a big chain, that's a lot of million of dollars or euro at stake and yeah. I was going to interview them and I go to their wait room and they have 20 people waiting for whatever, selling whatever. And they, I go into the room and I spoke for, I actually had an interview for two hours because that person was so happy that somebody is actually going to listen to them rather than asking them something and really yeah. trying to understand their experience. So yeah, people uh, like to, because we don't do it. We don't listen. Yeah. We Take the time to listen. We don't take the time to empathize. It's it's actually not that hard. Once you yeah. go, once you've done one, you can see it's not that hard. Probably because most people's experience with market research is via a pretty repulsive survey, which you know it, that that's not exactly helpful and and doesn't really you know give you an understanding of what people do in most cases. But that's probably a much bigger question that I'd rather Eric's my partner be sitting here having that one with you but nevertheless I, I we see that a lot that you know people relate to market research as just the the cold boring survey and you're right just just having that conversation do you I mean you know and now how do you do it now given that it's in many places in the world it's difficult to go and have a conversation with people are you doing it online you can do it online you can do it over the phone even now, uh, you know, uh, even 20 years ago, I used to work for uh, Clorox, a big package with company here, and we had these new products and we actually, we didn't have very little budget because nobody was believing that product could be big. So we just 
send a sample to people home and then talk to them on the phone for half an hour. And after 10 interviews, we look at each other and say, we have a winner here. It was just people <laughs> were crazy. They were using for everything that we thought we didn't even think of. And so, yeah, you can talk to people. Now you can do video as well. And with Zoom, you know, if people are willing to, you, they can show you their closet. They can show you their mm. office. They can, uh, you can learn a lot. You can ask them to take pictures of their home. And then when you interview them, you can say, hey, I'm noticing that in your kitchen cabinet, you have five brand of sales. Tell me more about that or whatever that is. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do actually without, I mean, physical is better, but Sometimes yeah. it's actually much easier because people might not open your home, but they might be open to do it through a conversation or through Zoom. It's quite interesting, really, how much people are prepared to share, particularly if they are fans of your brand already or, you know, they're, they're someone who uses that type of product. And and I reckon, actually, I almost think now at the moment it's like an entertainment for them. You know, so many people are looking for things to do. So if you can make it... Um, a bit fun than things for people as well. It's something else to think about. My mother certainly loves them, <laughs> so she's always in for it. <laughs> I when I'm going to go back to design thinking a little bit and the the process of getting the team to think in that design. Is there a technique you use in working with teams to get them to think about that? Well, there's two things I do. I use foresight which is yep. an uh, instrument. I believe you might have talked to Janice Francesco yes. to talk about foresight before. And uh, I'm also trained and I use that. And that's really helpful because by taking this instrument, by understanding your own profile as well as your team profile, then you can understand how you can work better and appreciate what each other's bringing to the plate when you work on innovation team and avoid a lot of conflict and friction that you don't even... People might not know where they come from, but they come from different pre preference for different part of the creative process. So yeah. I usually do that as kind of a starting point with a team. And then I do training around design thinking. And uh, what I believe is that the training has, I mean, I can talk, but that's not going to teach you anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I talk the least amount possible and it's really experiential learning. So I'll go in, a, in an organization and I say, hey, do you have a challenge that you guys want to work on? And that's part of the training. So that challenge is going to be right. the case that we, we learn about the tool and then we apply them and then we can see how much in a day or two we actually move something. And then we can see what it really means to use uh, and apply design thinking. It's not something you can do one time and you know it and you're done. Uh, design thinking, you know, I can teach it as a process and tool, but at the end of the day, it's really a mind, mind shift. You mm. have to shift the way you think. And so I realized a few years ago that one-time training is actually not that uh, efficient and to have a lasting impact. And so I really uh, try to build programs over three months, six months a year when you can have some training, experiential training, then people can apply it for a few months and then we might have coaching so they can really see, okay, now I'm back in my office that Monday or, and this is what's happening with my boss and my team and on this project. And so I can support them. And then maybe three or four months in, we have a booster or uh, I sometimes create a train the trainer program. So then people yeah. can start diffusing it internally as well. 
I assume it's the leader of these businesses that are engaging you and, and wanting to embrace innovation. Is there something that, that you can pick is a, a standard these leaders of innovation businesses have? On one hand, I mean, every business needs innovation. Mm. And right now, particularly uh, in the US and, you know, where the, things are changing at a crazy pace and we can't do business as usual, innovation is definitely critical. Mm. Uh, yet, and I'm talking right now with this climate, it's also a time when a lot of organizations are kind of in survival mode. Yeah. And so they're not necessarily thinking at innovation as a priority. Mm. And so that is somewhat of the challenge. And so while every organization needs innovation, the people that tend to work with, with me are a kind of mostly larger organization that kind of realize that is important and they're willing to invest. Mm. But I sometimes work with small companies, surprising, like I work with a team of lawyers and people that do environmental work. I work for a nonprofit as well that realize how important it is. Yeah. So it's really about awareness, I would say. And willingness yeah. to invest, at least some thinking and time. Yeah, it's actually interesting you brought up the bigger companies because I've read some research recently that a lot of the larger companies are actually pulling back their R and D budgets. I mean, I mean, I somewhat understand, and they're basing it on the uncertainty. Are you seeing that? Yes, I mean, I just have to say that a lot of projects have been put on hold mm. uh, because. That is not the priority or is not seen as a priority in a way somewhat persuaded, frustrating because I feel I have the, the right skills for this time, which is yeah. how do you work around change and fast paced change? Yeah. And yet, you know, big organization with a system, they're like, yeah, where can we cut? Oh, well, we cut training, we'll cut consultant, we cut, you know, so it's, it's, yeah. there's a tension there. Uh, to me, it feels like that. Okay, if you were doing R&D on a project pre-COVID, then it may be that the, the climate's shifted and that that may not necessarily be the right focus, but it doesn't mean you should stop innovating. In fact, I'm with you. It's like so critically important and, and so many, I would think, our team are out there understanding, getting a pulse on, on what's going on in their communities and that could be really helpful information to bring back as well yeah and talking about user-centered the users are changing everybody's mm. life is changing drama dramatically in a dramatical way and so you really have to start looking at that and say are my product are my services relevant how do I make them more, more relevant which part is not not the focus right now so there is a lot of pivot and changes that needs to happen mm. I'm maybe throwing this out at left centre at you, but uh, we're actually running a, a post okay. on link, LinkedIn and it's with, because of some McKinsey um, research that we read recently about, you know, this term snapback, which has become quite big, or are we never going to turn back? I mean, it's so I, it's an interesting one because in New Zealand, of course, we did snap back quite quickly with many things but there were some things that are shifting in the community. But, of course, we're pretty unique in the world at the moment. But are you seeing, are there things that are coming out from your perspective? In the U.S. here, I mean, California, we're in the midst of it. So uh, mm. I don't, I mean, we don't see a place where we can just snap back and pretend nothing happens. 
Yeah. Um, because it's changing. For example, you know, in the medical world, of course, but just, I'm not talking about the COVID part, but just your doctor. So no, yeah. you, I mean, before it was almost impossible to do telemedicine. No, a lot of doctors do that. It's, uh, it was really hard to get medication. You had to go to the pharmacy and get them. No, you can get them delivered in two days. You know, like, yeah. this is great. I mean, that's one of your few things that is great. But uh, so something are changing and I think that might not come back because there might be benefits to it or some business, unfortunately, are going to close. And so, uh, yeah. you know, what's going to happen to the restaurant business? What's going to happen to the hotel business, uh, travel business? I mean, a lot of those businesses, then they're going to be affected for the long run and yeah. things are going to change drastically. Yeah. That, that That's really tough. We've got a few friends who have got, um, you know, accommodation facilities and things and and it's just really tough they're sitting there with all these empty rooms and they can't do a damn thing about it so yeah, yeah. no really tough on them but I, you know I, so I'm going to change course a little bit in this because the other thing I really would like to talk to you about is the business model canvas which I've used a couple of times myself and I'm not sure that I ever do it really justice and properly but it's I'd, I'd love to know your take on how using the canvas, that simple tool, can help in an innovation space? Uh, thanks for asking. I love this tool. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I would say, an expert on business model canvas because I've been working with the high school of business. They have a, a program for, uh, executive program for product manager, and that's one of the tools they use to kind of uh, anchor the class. I have a specific role. I'm coaching uh, the students about business model canvas. So people, I give them feedback and then I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I've seen probably seven or 800 of those canvases. I think that tool, it's really simple for your audiences. You can search business model canvas, but it's basically nine boxes that kind of are a representation of your business. But what I found it really powerful is by seeing how different aspects are connected, you really uh, start looking at system rather than silos. And one of the challenges I found uh, working in corporate is people tend to look at it from a silo vision. So I'm a finance person. I'm going to do everything from a number perspective. I'm mm -hmm. a marketing person. I'm going to look at the marketing elements. I'm a salesperson. I'm just going to look at the sales. But the reality of a product or a service or an organization is that those elements are connected. And so the yeah. business model canvas is really nice uh, way to kind of see how different aspects of the business are connected. And if I'm a product manager or engineers and I only understand, usually I really understand what my product is and what my target audience is, but I'm not fully understanding other elements of it, then I can ask questions with other people in my team. I can ask a finance guy. I can ask a marketing person. I can ask partners, how are we working together? How is this affecting our business, you know, the way we work together? And so for me, the business model canvas is really two applications. The first one is looking at your business in a kind of broad way and getting alignment from a team, understanding mm -hmm. that different function come at seeing the business with their own biases. And so by talking together and getting alignment, that's really helpful. And then talking about innovation, it's also a great innovation tool because you can look at your business as 
it is today and then wonder where should I innovate? And sometimes it's a new value proposition. So I'm going to offer something new to my customers. That's the most obvious one. Or I might target another segment, which is another you know, traditional way to think about innovation. But you might realize that those are not the place you want to innovate. You want to innovate by partnering with a different organization. Or you want to innovate by changing the way that you are making the product or services. Maybe you have your own plant or factory making it and you want to outsource it. Maybe you want to you know, bring some other people on board with different functions. So it really forced you to look at innovation and say, where can innovation can come up from? It might be a different channel. You know, mm. we in this channel system and maybe suddenly if we innovate on the channel distribution, suddenly we might have innovation. So it's also a great way to think about innovation from a lot of different perspectives. Do you tend to get... Um, is it better for an individual to do it and then go out and talk to other team members or do you do it as a team? Um, it can be either way. Yep. And uh, and there's no right or wrong. It's really depending on the culture of your organization. I mean, ideally, if you can take an hour and have, you know, five, six members of your team and do it together on a big whiteboard, you know, with post-its, yeah. or no, you can do it on online, you know, uh, mural, has business model canvas, other, uh, you know, uh, whiteboard have it. So you can do it together, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on online on an application like that. I think it can be really powerful. Sometimes it works better if, for example, the product manager get a first draft and then get reaction from other people. So it yep. really depends about what might work. But I think what's important is that it's not one person doing it. It's really uh, a team of people that have different viewpoint around your product or services or offer. Yeah, no, that, and that, that makes sense because there's so many different aspects to, to the business and, um, and yeah. And, and if you're a growing business, I mean, well, if let's say you're a startup, would you still use a, a canvas? Oh, definitely, because that's a way to kind of look at my business and not forgetting some aspect of it. Because yeah. I can, as a startup, I can be really focused on my product and service and maybe on my segment, but I'm not realizing about, okay, how am I going to deliver it? How am I going to actually make it? Uh, who am I, do I need to partner with? Uh, how does it going to do, fi- what are the financial model associated with it? Um, what are my costs? What are my different way of thinking about revenue? So I would definitely recommend that for everybody, but a startup should definitely look at it. So they are focused on all aspects of the business rather than over-focusing on the idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's an easy thing to get trapped into. <laughs> get stuck on the idea and then you forget about the rest of it and how it's actually going to function and flow. It's almost to me like the business model, the canvas should be inside your business plan to a degree, you know, in that in that's part of that structure. Um, yeah, at any rate. It's 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 an interesting exercise because I, I I've done a couple but I I don't know whether I probably need someone else to challenge me on it because I am doing it in isolation and you go oh you know I'll choose this model and this looks okay like particularly for a, from a financial model perspective and and then later on I'll go but that's not going to work because of that and I didn't necessarily get that out of the canvas but that's probably because I. I, I um, don't have your expertise. 
Well, I'd be glad to work with you on it. Well, that, that's a, thank you. I may even take you up on that. So, um, but but I so just um, I guess just to wrap up a little bit here, I wanted to at this time, and we've talked about, of course, the amount of change going on at the moment. How do we how do we embrace this? The and there are opportunities out there. Every everybody is seeing there are opportunities, but sometimes we get so trapped in the day-to-day and the drama of it is do you have a technique for for stepping back and seeing the opportunities uh I would say there's two two type of techniques that personally I use the one is just take distance from it and using something like meditation or something like that which personally helps you to be anchored and centered Mm -hmm because there's so much coming up at us right now and there's so much emotionally i mean especially like in the u.s right now that uh you know sometimes it's just hard to focus to be honest so first you have to start with yourself um and then you know if there's a commitment to to look at it then uh that's where the tool and techniques can really help uh when you get stuck it's like let's go back you know what's a problem let's look at um but what different problems can we solve? You know, which one may make sense? And let's test it with our users, see if that problem actually resonates. And then yeah. once you have the right problem, which is the hardest part and what should take the longest time because that's really important, then you can look at ideas and, you know, look at a lot of ideas and kind of run them and narrow them down and test them. And then, you know, prototype in, and try to implement. But uh it's just a tool and technique can help us getting out of our head, you know, when we're like, I don't know, it's overwhelming. I don't know where to start. And then we do nothing. Um, yeah. So it's get saying, well, I know if the, if my challenges, I'm not sure what the problem is, there's tool and technique I can use to understand the problem. If I don't understand the problem, but I don't know how to solve it, then there's tool and technique you can use to come up with a lot of options. If I have some ideas, I don't know which one are good. I don't know how they work. Then I need to spend more time on the prototyping part, you know, of the process. And if I have some prototype, but I'm not sure how to do it, then I should look at options and alternatives to make it happen, to test it. Um, And I really believe in, um, you know, traditionally in corporate, we want to be perfect. (laughs) And I want it to be perfect. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money. And, you know, we, really using the design thinking principle, I always challenge my client and say, what is the cheapest, fastest way to get this idea out and get some feedback? Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's doing things differently. So it might not be the perfect thing. And we might test it with five people for a day. Uh, and, but we'll get a lot and we'll learn a lot. And not saying it's not going to be perfect and we might fail. But the learning in failing early, quickly and cheaply it has a lot of value. Oh, yes, definitely. That's actually probably the single best advice because uh, I think a lot of us fall into the trap, and I've done this in my past life as well, is you, you, want, it, you want it to be totally right so that you can explain and, and people to really experience it. And, the, of course, the terminology that's used in the tech world is MVP, minimum viable product. And, and But... I don't think when when that was first told to me, I don't think I really understood what that really meant. And certainly from a 
tech space because I've developed software is is that I don't think the tech guys knew exactly what that meant either. But so I that that really is the most important thing is to come up with just a simple yeah, and that's probably one of the hardest things to do if when it's your baby. Yeah. And and the culture. Because yeah. um it's hard to go and to your boss or your management and say, I have a half-baked idea. Can I try it? So yeah. usually we want the 40-page deck with every single number and every T crosses and and then, you know. But the, the one thing I think it's not talked enough about is the price of not innovating, the mm. price of not taking risk. And there is a huge price for it. But we, we, in corporation, we tend to look at the price of having something new wrong, but not the opposite. If we don't innovate, what happened? If we don't have new things, what happened to our business in a year or two years? Yeah. If you don't try new things, you know. And for some culture, it's impossible. That's why a lot of big corporations end up, you know, purchasing startup because they can't do that internally because the system will kill it before you even have a chance. That makes that makes total sense, and um, yeah, I, I you're right about the innovation. It just ha- we have to we have to get past this thing that innovation is this big scary thing. I mean, it can be small things, and I'm thinking at this time where we've got such a fluid environment that it's constantly changing, and you know, even even reports that were written at the early stages of COVID, and I'm, you know, read a report recently that was in May, and it's outdated today. You know, here we are in early August, so it's it, things are that fluid. So, from a business perspective, do you think there's merit in smaller, incremental, almost like mini innovation? Is that even remotely possible? Yeah, I think we should always innovate, and you know, there is this thing about the big big innovation, small innovation, incremental innovation. I think right now in a world where, you know, things are moving fast, if we learn something new about our users, if we think there's an opportunity, like I said, the pharmacy starting to, you can get your medication at home in two days and before you had to go to the store, go to this other system, not the regular drugstore. I mean, that's, I don't know. For me, it's big. It's really mm. a big service that's really useful. And then I don't have to go to the store with a bunch of other people and worry about being exposed and things like that. And yet they haven't had it before. And you had the older people waiting in line, you know, yeah. before COVID for 20 minutes to get their medication. And you can only have once a month for a month. So, so is it a small or a big innovation? I guess it's depending on the perspective. Yeah. You know, as a user, it's actually really significant. It really makes my life easier and better. And that's really the key, isn't it? Because innovation has to have a fo- customer focus about making their life better. Yeah. That that ultimately is the only reason you want to innovate anything, isn't it? Uh, that's what it should be. <laughs> but there's still a lot of innovation and that you want is like, oh, this innovation, but no, it makes my life more complicated. Or, yeah. you know, especially in tech, there's a lot of innovation that, are great and there's some innovations like why did you change all the navigation and now I'm, I'm spending 10 minutes when I was spending five minutes before and you really don't don't bring anything to me maybe it's better for you system but as a user you make my life harder so that's not going to win that sort of innovation though it's not going to win in the long run is it uh, hopefully not 
So the question is, who is, who is working on tech? And uh, a lot of people are working on tech and not representative of the users. And, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, you see a new update on my iPhone or some tech and I'm like, yeah. this was done by a 25 year old guy. You know, you can see it. It's like, this yeah. makes zero sense, except it's fun, but it makes my life harder. Why are you doing this? <laughs> oh dear so it really is about because uh, i'm i'm uh, I, I love the idea because clearly we're coming from the same space that that um in the end it's about consumers needs the users needs i actually i don't really like the word users it's one of the bugbears i've had people humans out there that are using the product but uh yeah focusing innovation on that to me has got to be an easier sell for the innovation in the long run, which has got to be less risky, I would think. So. Yes, and one thing I want to say is, is users and consumers. I don't use consumers because people tend to think that they're only the end consumers, but I've seen mm. examples of innovation that, you know, the users really wanted it, but they didn't work with the other people uh, that had to actually you know, manufacture that innovation. And that was a big problem because they didn't, they only look at the end users and they didn't look at, we are creating change here. And a lot of uh, department, a lot of people are going to be um, involved with the change and impacted by the change. But we only look at the end users because I was marketing doing their work in a silo and not realizing that that had implication for people at the factory that had some implication in distribution. And that was never looked into until two years in the process and that was uh not a good way to no. look at it and i guess that's another reason for using the the model business model canvas as well to, to yeah. a degree so, yeah identifying i really like those. i really like to work with my clients when they talk about users and let's do a 360 so what are all the users or stakeholders is another word that you've seen yeah. used sometimes so we're not missing some of them and we're just focusing on a few because it's a system and a change here has an impact in other areas of your business. And if you don't realizing this, there'll be uh, problems. It's not going to work so smoothly. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good. And the other thing that I've picked up when you're listening, when listening to you is, is the number of people that you're testing this with. Because so many people think that they have to get, you know, a thousand, hundred, whatever <laughs> people to test the blooming thing. And, and uh but you're talking really small numbers, which is really encouraging. Yeah, I think uh, the big difference is qualitative and quantitative. And why are you trying to? Why are you trying to do it? And qualitative mm. is small sample. It's really about learning and understanding and getting to the why. Mm. And you know, if you have a new product and you have interviewed fifteen people and everybody's excited about it because it's really doing something that they can't do right now or they can't do well. You don't need 200 people to tell you it's great. You, are, you have something. No, yeah. if you want a number and I need to know how many million of dollars or whatever I sell, then maybe you need to do quantitative. But unless you have good qualitative early on, unless you do ethnography, unless you really understand where the people come from, then you even in a survey, you won't even ask the right question because you don't know what to ask. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And oh boy, have I seen some ripper of questions and I go, well, there's no way in the world you're going to un understand anything about the actual person and the way they use it from that, but whatever. That's uh, just another subject really. Um, I, 
So you you do now, of course, with our new world, you do have online training and things that people can tap into. I loved your website. There's lots of great information on that as well that people can tap into um, to learn more. But uh, is there what what other ways can people get involved with your work? Uh, so definitely they can uh, reach out to me. And uh, I have, since I know we, uh, I knew we were going to talk about innovation, I have uh, something on my website, and I'm sure you can put the, the link on yep. the note. Um, it's about nine questions to spark thinking about innovation. So thinking about different aspects of innovation in your company, in your team. Um, and then uh, if that sparks some good thinking and you're interested in talking to me, I'd be glad to have a, a discussion. Um, with you we can do zoom we can do phone right. sometimes you know phone i found phone to be better sometimes because people can't stand you know more videos so i'm totally like phone sometimes yeah no phone's fine i actually funny that the whole zoom thing is almost getting so intense it's quite exhausting too so um you know phone is nothing wrong with the old technology <laughs> exactly yeah. Oh, awesome. No, I will put all of these links in there for, for listeners because this is, you know, it's, you know, the key message really here is that just because there's, you know, for a lot of still uncertainty about what's going to happen, the point is that you've still got a, if you've got a product that people are going to use, then maybe there's just some tweaking and adapting and, and innovation, but you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep evolving with your customers and understanding them. So that's, that's um, really what I get from your message as well, Elaine. Yeah. And uh, two more thoughts. Uh, the first one is since we're talking about um, business model canvas, I recently uh, had a blog post about business model canvas. So I'd be glad to uh, send you that for new notes as well. Uh, so I get into more detail about what it is and how to use it. Yeah, that would be good. And, um, and then the other thing that uh, is important is that uh, as ha- working with remote team is definitely challenging. And, uh, you know, so now people know at the beginning is like, how do you make it work with the technology? People know that, but now you have to deal with a human aspect of it. And yes. how do we work together when we don't have all the cues that we can have or the you know, discussion at the, at the water cooler or something like that? And that's where, uh, you know, sometimes having like uh, learning more about team and how do we kind of work better together with foresight or some other training can be really helpful to keep the momentum in the team uh, because after a while we get so fatigued with Zoom, it's really hard to just, really easy to tune off and not being yeah. fully there and fully present. Yeah, and, and actually that, that's a, it's, a, it's a good point about um, engaging and getting people the buy-in from everybody involved in the team even though they're not, as you say, standing by the water cooler. I know we found that challenging because we couldn't go and visit our clients and you just don't know what's going on in the corridor <laughs> or you just don't find out as, as much as you used to. So uh, it's learning some skills. And I guess knowing that I do know a little bit about foresight, which is for anyone who didn't um, listen to my interview with Janice um, Francisco, it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great tool for understanding the team and understanding their personality types and, as you said, working together. But understanding that more with foresight would give you the tools you need to to handle it more better just handle it better remotely I yeah it makes total sense 
And then the other thing that I've actually been working on the past uh, six months is really about thinking about how uh, how is it, how the role of a facilitator in virtual meeting, uh, because a lot of people are becoming facilitator because they have no choice. Certainly, there's a virtual meeting and somebody has to be the facilitator, but a lot of people are not really trained. And when yeah. you have so virtual meeting and they're like meeting after meeting it's really hard to keep the team engaged. And so I've been really uh, thinking and retooling and learning, uh, you know, some of the approaches that you can really uh, keep meeting more engaging and interactive. And I think that's really important to think about. Yeah. And Yeah, that's another good a good technique, a tool, because, uh, you know, we've just got a different world and it's going to be like this for a little while yet, I hate to say it. So, um, and those who, and a lot of people have got used to working from home and quite enjoying it too, so... We're, we're finding it here that those there are many businesses who have just gone, well, if you're happy working at home, just stay there and we'll just catch up periodically. So Yeah, and you save um, some money on buildings and utilities yeah, and things like that. Yeah, so no. that's probably something that's going to stay to an extent is my guess. Mm. Mm. No, I, I think it will actually. We, we found it here even in our short lockdown that, uh, you know, speaking to business operators and they said, well, we've just discovered we don't need that whole floor of our office building. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. It was lovely to chat to you. Thank you so and, much for uh, your question. I really love our conversation. Mm-hmm.